Alrighty, here we are, episode five, back again with my friend Keith Nugent. All right, so Keith, you kind of uh, your stomping ground is kind of groundswell and uh, groundswell startups, and uh, so just tell us kind of a little bit about what you do over at Groundswell. So I have a digital marketing studio. Essentially, the difference between that and a digital agency is we're really focused a lot more on collaboration. So it's a bit of a different structure. We provide a lot of similar products and services, but in the end, it's really focused on empowering everybody to kind of lead their own focus and uh, come together as a group to execute projects. Okay, that's nice. More collaborative than, than say like, oh, you're our client. We're going to take care of everything. Don't talk to us. Right. Yeah, it's not so top down. It's very uh, flat in terms of the structure. Okay, that sounds refreshing, actually. Um, all right, so let's kind of dive in and see just uh, a little bit about your past, like what led you to this, because it's very interesting, you do great work. I mean, I've seen it before and you've done some for our company as well. So let's take it back to high school. So <laughs> what was old Keith doing in high school? Oh man, this journey is gonna be a fun one, so I uh, hope you buckle up and get ready, because it's a little bit of twists and turns along the way. Um, in high school, I actually uh, had no plan to go to college originally. Um, my family is not really originally a college family. Um, I was super interested in becoming a pilot, um, so I was pursuing that. And uh, I was working a bunch of jobs. I was actually homeschooled, so that allowed me to do multiple things. Um, so that was pretty cool. I had a, always had a lot going on, and I was you know working multiple jobs to save up for my pilot's license uh, throughout high school. Yeah, those are expensive. Yeah, so that uh, that required a lot of a lot of time and effort. But I kind of got derailed, actually. I did not get to go and do that. So one of the one of the things that shaped some early decisions was, of course, 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, that really changed everything in the aviation industry. And so it was a really, really challenging time. So at that point, kind of later on, getting ready to go to uh, college, at that point, I said, OK, it's probably a good idea. Let's, uh, let's figure out what I want to do here. And so I shifted from wanting to fly to really wanting to work with aircraft because I still love flying, you know. So uh, that's when I took the focus into the aerospace and aeronautical engineering side of things. Okay, so before we get into that, because that's a lot to unpack, because it's, I mean, very interesting. So you weren't thinking about college, and was that because you knew you didn't have to go to college to get a pilot's license and do what you wanted to do? Yeah, I looked at both routes. And, uh, you know, one of the things about college that I was looking at at the time was, of course, a lot more expensive. Mm. And, um, you know, just coming from a, a standpoint of not really having the, uh, like, not really having a ton of scholarships or family mm. backing and financially, it was just, you know, the better approach to go ahead and do just the pilot's license and then pursue a career based off of that. Yeah, it makes sense. And then I want to talk about your experience with homeschooling, because I've not, like, I've met a couple people in passing that have, you know, had that similar experience, and, uh, yeah, so just tell me what your experience was like. Yeah. Well, mine was uh, extra interesting, because I had a bunch of siblings, and so <laughs> <laughs> there was there was one teacher, right, my uh, my mom had stayed home to take care of us and, and do the homeschooling, um, and, and that was a it was a crazy experience because, you know, looking back, you realize how different it was. Growing up, you didn't know any better, right? It was just mm -hmm. like, this is what we do. Um, a couple of my older siblings had gone to school for a few years, but then we had all gone in the homeschooling route because we are kind of moving around a lot. And uh, it, actually, I'm really thankful. It worked mm -hmm. out really, really well. Um, you know, 
I had a, a different kind of relationship with my siblings and with my parents because of it. And um, I just had some opportunities that I don't think I would have had if I was in um, kind of a more standard schooling approach. Uh, so that was cool. I got to do some jobs, volunteers with some things, go on some trips that um, maybe I wouldn't have been able to. So I'm thankful for that. And I also learned how to learn uh, on my own really well. And I think that served me really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, obviously you've heard the the stigma around uh homeschooling people say that it takes away you know valuable socialization time and do you feel like that's true or like were there other other avenues that you used to pursue that like kind of sports and stuff like that great question so i realize where the stigma comes from you know and i think there's uh, i think there's outliers on on every side of things Mm -hmm. but in the end i don't think it's really true um especially these days there's a lot of groups that you can get connected with. Um, There's a lot of homeschool groups. There's a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. things that happen on the weekends. And, you know, if you think about how much actual socialization goes on in the school halls, right, it's pretty quick in between classes and extracurriculars and things like that. And so just because you're homeschooled doesn't mean you don't participate in those things, right? Playing sports and other things like that. Maybe you go to church or something on the weekends. Um, And then for me, I actually had additional opportunities, you know, when I'm working, right, kind of learning life skills along the Mm -hmm. way socializing with, um, you know, adults earlier, you know, in terms of my parents and the folks that they're interacting with. So um, I really never had that uh, impression. And uh, it's funny because I actually get that reaction a lot. And they're like, oh, wow, you're actually sort of kind of normal for being a homeschooler, (laughs) which is which is uh, which is a fun joke. But yeah, that's that's really interesting because, I mean, everybody speaks of their past experience and, you know, that, well, first of all, I come from a very small town called Niceville, so the kids nice. over there, I don't know, just a couple of them put a bad taste in my mouth. But anyway, uh, more about you. So basically you came to a decision where the aerospace world is kind of where you want to go into. You want to stick to the engineering route. So is that was that kind of your degree track in college? It was, yeah. I, you know, I kind of had this thought of like, well, if it's not a good time to fly airplanes, maybe I'll just, you know, get to work on them or something because it was just a passion of mine. And so I started evaluating colleges based on aerospace, aeronautical engineering. I really narrowed it down to uh, Florida Tech and Embry Riddle, and ultimately ended up choosing Florida Tech for the aerospace engineering degree program. Okay, that's awesome. So. <clears throat> Through that program, you finished the program, did you not? Yes. Okay. So what would you say was your favorite part of that program? Was it like kind of this daunting thing that when you were done, it was just this huge weight off your shoulders, this nice big breath out, and you're like, oh, thank God, I'm done. (laughs) Or were you like, wow, that was really cool. I still want to learn more. I have all these, you know, tools and experience that I can, you know, harness to forward me in my career. Like, what was your kind of mindset going through college? You know, there was a lot going on. Um, I really actually, I really enjoyed the learning. Like, there were definite classes that we were just like, oh, come on, be over already. (laughs) But um, the the aeronautical side of it, I think I just found fascinating, right, to start really Mm -hmm. connecting, like, how this stuff actually works and you know, putting it all together and then really knowing like, whoa, I, I could literally calculate how to put something into orbit. Like those moments are pretty awesome. And um, so then I really loved the application parts of it. Um, you know, when we're getting to the labs or actually getting mm-hmm. to build prototypes and work on projects. 
And so, uh, you know, I really like getting to apply it as opposed to just the theory. So getting to the end was, was pretty awesome just because, you know, you look back and you're like, holy smoke, I did not, you know, plan to be here, but here it is. And I uh, got, to, got to work with some awesome folks along the way and uh, meet just a really cool community here of folks. Yeah, absolutely. The people here at Florida Tech are the most interesting. Um, but yeah, let's go back to talking about kind of that schism between theory and application, because I feel like this is a huge hang up for people that are choosing kind of their future career. They're like, well, I can't really see the road that's going to take me to, you know, actually applying these different concepts. And that's why kids in high school, they kind of get uninterested in calculus and things like that, because they're always like, well, teach, uh, how are we going to use this? And the teacher's just like, I don't know. I'm, that's the answer I got every time uh, we kind of, not berated her, but kind of picked at her a little bit and was like, why do we have to do proofs of these like huge formulas? Like, what is the point of doing all this? Isn't it all automated in a computer? And she's just like, this is the curriculum. I'm teaching it. If you don't want to be here, leave. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> Okay, that's cool, but now I don't want to be an engineer, so this is great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so at Florida Tech, would you say that the first couple years, like, knocking out the gen eds, that was more theory, and then after that, you kind of moved towards application? A little bit, but I think it's really also dependent on the professors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure you've kind of experienced that a little bit. Uh, I had a, had a fantastic chemistry professor. I never thought in my life I'd be able to survive a chemistry class, right? It's kind of rough. <laughs> Uh, but I had one really, really good one, kind of made things fun, super interactive, you know, just about lit the classroom on fire a couple times. So it was, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that part, but he's, uh, yeah, that's he, good. No he names. was awesome. No that's names. right. <laughs> Anonymity here. Um, and that really, you know, makes the whole thing a lot more interactive. It kind of makes it a lot more real. And certainly for my style of learning, probably for a lot of others, I think that that would go a lot further in terms of, you know, relating it to real life, right? Because I think in general, students are starting to ask different questions. You know, it's not just about, you know, like, okay, how do I learn this curriculum? It's really about, you know, what value does this bring to life, especially my life, my mm -hmm. future, and those around me. So I think it would be wise for all professors to just take a step back and try to do a little bit more of that for students as they go through. And I agree, because there's a lot of, a lot of professors, I mean, all over the country that, you know, when they get tenure and they're just kind of like, this is my kingdom. <laughs> what I say goes, and I really don't care about your feelings, which is not the way to do it. And it kind of uh, is to the detriment of the academic community, and it's, it's kind of sad to see. But, you know, that's why there's those uh, new websites and, like, apps out there where it's, like, rate my professor and stuff like that. So I'm not sure how much good that will actually do, but it helps people kind of make a decision based on that. But even though some people are still going to just get stuck with those professors, sadly. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't have a choice, especially if you're kind of last to register. But uh, those could help. The other interesting thing to see how that all evolves is, you know, as they, you know, online learning is now becoming so much more mainstream. Um, some people are, you know, going the whole, whole all the way in and not getting a degree. Others are, mm -hmm. you know, doing it online. Um, so I think that's actually a good thing because it's going to force a little bit of, you know, innovation and, you know, just kind of rethinking even in the traditional space, which is always a good thing to just kind of continue to improve. Absolutely. Continuous improvement. I mean, that's the key to anything, right? Uh, so going back, we'll, we'll hit college a little bit more. So what, because my study habits were a lot different than the engineers. Like I could... Well, I couldn't wake up because in high school, I would like be absolutely toasted from football practice. So I would just go to sleep and then wake up at like 3 or 4 a.m. and do my homework. 
couldn't do that at school. So like it was just kind of a two, three hour sprint after everything calmed down uh, in the evening to get things done. How did you kind of uh, approach your, your studies? Man, I, I, looking back, I had had a little too much going on, right? Because I was, uh, you know, like I said, I hadn't originally really planned to come to college. And so once I did, I was applying for every scholarship I possibly could, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, choosing a nice private university with a hefty bill. Yeah, I really had to, yeah exactly. I didn't want to be in debt until I died. So um, I also worked, you know, a, a job and took on an RA role while I was at school. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Um, looking back, I would go back and tell my younger self, like, don't do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth it, focus. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe just one thing. Uh, but the, the, the RA experience was really rewarding, uh, super cool as well. Uh, but I definitely burned myself out. And so I think my study habits were just like, you know, work when you can, study all the rest of the time. Uh, I felt like I was studying twice as much as everybody else in my class because they were like, oh, yeah, we did, you know, calculus in high school. We've already been through physics three, four, five, and six. And you're, just, <laughs> oh and you're like, whoa. Um, you, you don't realize just how, you know, smart, advanced, gifted some folks are until you're sitting in a room of them. You're like, okay, how did I get here? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was it was a really awesome experience but, uh, all in all. But I definitely had to just study way too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do what you got to do. Uh, if that means pounding your head against a book a little more than everybody else, that's that's a-okay. Just get her done. But uh, I want to hear about your RA time because, I oh, mean, man. I had a certain relationship with my RA. <laughs> I don't know if I want to put any adjectives, adjectives on. Um, <laughs> so did you ever have, like, any kind of problem childs, anybody who was – you were like, why is this person here? Why, <laughs> if I had a magic wand, they'd be gone. I had, um, I always had an interesting crew, and maybe I had a little bit of a different RA approach, just because I came from uh, a big family with a bunch of siblings, where everybody's kind of strong-willed anyway. So it's a little bit of a preview of like, all right, now we got this whole community we got to deal with, and everybody's got their own idea of uh, how things should go. Um, all in all, I had. Uh, I had pretty good residents, and the ones that were challenging or had particularly interesting viewpoints, we could um, usually have a conversation. So that was one of the things I think that uh, really, really worked out well was just kind of being super approachable and mm-hmm. having those conversations to be able to try to you know make peace in between roommates when it needed to happen. And uh, you know sometimes people are going through stuff, right? So just having yeah. your eyes open. Uh, especially in college, right? It's a transition time. and you Tough know, for a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, so uh, sometimes, you know, the actual behaviors or the things you're seeing are really just kind of a symptom of something else underlying. And so uh, hopefully just kind of keeping eyes open. So there were, there were definitely a couple of challenges, um, not just from residents, right? Even, you know, sometimes the RA staff, like they got their own stuff that they're going through. Uh, some one or two really, really hard things that we had to face. And so mm-hmm. it was a challenging time, but also rewarding. Jeez, Dr. Keith, RA, psychologist. <laughs> I love it, though. That's And that's really interesting because I don't feel like a lot of people don't take that approach. They're, once again, you know, hammer-fisted, and they're like, do what I want you to do or get out. So <laughs> that that's good to hear, refreshing. So after college, you got that really expensive piece of paper in hand. What'd you do with it? Let it collect some dust. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, I actually, 
uh, I got a job locally at uh, L- which is now L3 Harris Corporation. Mm. Um, at the time, it was funny because they weren't really even on my radar because they didn't advertise as hiring aerospace engineers. <laughs> L3 Harris didn't. <laughs> right. They were. They said, "Oh, we hire mechanical engineers," and I was like, oh, oh. "Okay, well, I'm aerospace, so you know." Um, but I, I think that's just more of a terminology thing mm. is what it really boiled down to. And so uh, I was talking to Northrop Grumman when one of the L3 guys bumped into me, and they were like, hey, uh, we should chat. Give me a resume. I was like, sure, do you even hire aerospace? You know, they're <laughs> like, not really, but, you know, give me a resume anyway. Okay. So I didn't think any more about it. I got a call a couple months later, and they're like, can you come in for an interview? And I guess the rest is history because I was there for almost 10 years. So You were there for 10 years? Just about, yeah. <laughs> that was never the plan either. I uh, actually Wait, planned so to... <laughs> what was the plan? I feel like that's everybody's plan. They're right. Like, who do I got to, you know, sweet talk to get into L3 or Northrop or somebody like that? Well, it was funny because I actually, you know, say that wasn't the plan because I planned to leave Melbourne right after college. A lot um, of people do. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then you play that back to graduate in 2007. It wasn't like the most awesome time for the economy or even the town or anything. Yeah. Um, not a great time to jump out of college, which I'm sure a lot of others have recently experienced mm. with the pandemic, right? Very similar in terms of economic situations. Um, but I, I had uh, kind of planned to, you know, leave the area, try something else different. But it worked out, and um, then I was able to, you know, keep finding interesting opportunities there and learn a whole bunch of stuff, uh, kind of going back to that whole theory versus application, you know, getting mm-hmm. some chance to do some application, which was cool. And so, uh, yeah, I ended up being there way longer than I expected. So while you were there, what was your, like, official job title? I had, like, six. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, because the, uh, the way it worked, especially at the time that I came in there, is you, know, you get hired on as a quote-unquote mechanical engineer, mm-hmm. right? That was sort of the title, even though I was aerospace degree. Uh, really, I worked on all kinds of different stuff. And uh, I did start a few roles that were more mechanical in nature. But then, you know, to kind of give you a high-level overview of where it went, I moved into uh, more of a systems engineering role. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into what most of us would consider like business development. Uh, which is pretty interesting, and then operational excellence, and then technology management, which is really where, you know, you're kind of guiding and managing a portfolio of technologies and research and development and kind of that are over-the-horizon type technology that won't, you know, be seen for a couple of years. Okay, that's that's really interesting. So when did you notice that they were starting to take you kind of from the the grunt work uh, to to the higher-level stuff? And... uh, did you have a secret clearance at this time or like Ooh, something that, you know, makes us not able to go in depth about what you actually worked on? Yeah. So I had a little bit of a different experience because I, I don't think I would have actually gotten those different opportunities if I didn't just jump out and be like, I want to try this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also managed to navigate around needing secret clearance for a lot of the stuff. So I never actually went dark in the vaults and everything. Um, <laughs> Which is, which is another interesting change because a lot of folks that I worked with do, right? And that's one great way to advance your career. You get some super cool experience and clearances and all this stuff. Um, I actually ended up staying a little bit more on the open side. I also uh, worked on a lot of research and development projects along the way. Okay. Which, um, not great for career-wise, right? Because it's usually... What? It's nice to be tied to, like, some really successful program of record, 
right? Okay. When yeah. you can be like, oh, yeah, I was so-and-so on the F-35 program. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, okay, geez, <laughs> stand back. But when it's R&D, you know, there's always a chance for failure and then. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's kind of also more exciting. Um, so yeah. really, there was never a point where someone was like, hey, we want you to, you know, take on this. It was really more me um, seeking out mentors and seeking out people that were in positions where I was like, that looks cool. I want to try that. And just asking them, like, hey, how'd you get here? Like, what do I need to learn? You know, can you teach me some of these things? I want to, you know, be doing some of these roles. And that's actually, that was the hardest jump to go from engineering to business development. Um, But I found a great mentor at the time and just said, like, hey, I want to be doing your job in two years. And he was like, cool. You want to do all the stuff I don't feel like doing? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And so, lo and behold, it worked out. But yeah, that's awesome. And that's something I want to jump back to really quick is the uh, the mentorship thing. So um, a lot of people that I know uh, feel like that they are kind of, you know, lone gun, don't really need anybody else. And I'm just going to, you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps and impress everybody I can without any other uh, outside help. So within mentorship, how because you said that that was kind of invaluable, right? Like it really yeah. helped you uh, do what you want to do and have mobility within the, the company. So how did you go about networking and uh, kind of facilitating a mentorship through uh, your colleagues and superiors? Yeah, and that was kind of challenging at the time um, because there was not a great mentorship program figured out at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, you know, it was something that was recognized as a need, especially for, you know, developing future leaders, uh, but they really didn't have a process. And so what I found very quickly was that the folks that were in place that would hopefully help you with those kind of things, they were super busy, right? I mean, they had jobs and they were trying to do some of this other stuff, which I totally get. And so I found that the best way was to, you know, identify somebody that I respected both on their career and capabilities, but also just character-wise was mm-hmm. a big one for me, right? Because if I was going to move up in a company, I didn't want to have that typical like, oh, yeah, cutthroat person gets you know up to the top by stepping on everybody else. I was like, nah, not worth it, not going to do that. Um, and so I found the folks that had gotten into positions by you know being genuine and just really being helpful for others because I was like, that's the path I want to take. How did you get there? What did you yeah. do? And so I just sought them out and I said, hey, you know, can you teach me these things? Like, can I shadow you sometimes? Can I learn some of these skills? Like, what am I missing? And then just uh, ask for really critical feedback, honestly, which can be painful, I tell you. Oh, it can, but I I tell you what, it's definitely necessary. uh, Yeah, it really is. Um, Especially because no matter, it's funny, I think that the more advanced you get in your career, the more you realize you still just, you know, there's the less you know in a sense, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, you just become so aware of all the things you don't know and don't have time to become an expert in. Um, but that was kind of how I went around finding uh, on, finding the mentors that would take the time to really you know share some of that knowledge. And some of it wasn't necessarily like technical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Honestly, more of it was about how do you navigate the organization in a way that's meaningful to you know people six levels of management up from you, right? Because that's in the end you know how you end up opening career opportunities and someone Mm -hmm. they've got to pick someone from the sea of people to do a particular role that can help in terms of knowing like hey if I can define like the value I'm adding this way that makes it a little bit more competitive on my end yeah and just I guess that 
also goes hand in hand with building exposure to those upper level people. So when, you know, they see you floating in that sea of people, they're like, hmm, I'm going to pluck this guy. I know his face. So that's, that's really interesting. And then, um, so I kind of want to go back one step a little bit, because this is something interesting that you mentioned earlier, is the cutthroat people, the people that are willing to, you know, step on heads and shoulders to get where they want to go. Was that kind of a big part of the organization when you were there? Was that, you know, pretty fairly common? Unfortunately, it was, it was more common than you would ever want to see. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's challenging, right? Because that's like a that's like an individual personal challenge. But there's, you know, certain things in the organization as well that, you know, it's hard to manage that hard to eliminate it, but it does exist. Um, so yeah, that I actually ran into that couple times I had some pretty <laughs> interesting and kind of shocking uh, inter- uh, interactions with folks that you know made it super clear what their goals were and that if I got in their way that you know there would be consequences I'll just leave it at that oh my god you so wanna... I was like whoa <laughs> yeah you want to you want to whip one of those stories out I'm, I'm here to hear it <laughs> oh man we'll just leave out some names no names yeah, total right, anonymity names. could be made up you guys don't know yeah <laughs> there there were some things there there were some things that happened that just you know just we're not professional. Um, you know, they were just not good, good things happening. And, uh, you know, I, I was bringing it up as like, guys, this just isn't acceptable, right? You know, this is not something that anybody professional should be doing. And, you know, it's really messing with the team and everything else. Um, and so then I got a, I got an interesting, um, corner conversation from, uh, one of their managers that basically told me that I needed to you know, watch what I said and do because it could come back to haunt the rest of my career. And I was like, wow, okay. And they made it they made it pretty clear in no uncertain terms that like, you know, they would basically ruin <laughs> the rest of my opportunities there or elsewhere. So that was that was an intense conversation for sure. Uh sounds like it. Oh my God. So you said corner conversation, meaning like this manager like cornered you and was like, this is what's up, Haas. Like Yeah, exactly. It was just Jeez. like, hey, you want to, you know, end your career and get a bad reputation everywhere you go? Because I can make that happen. <laughs> like, are are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Did this just happen here? Like, what is going on? Oh, my God. So do you think that that stems from kind of like a, a boys club mental- mentality where they're like, this is the way we do things in this camp within, you know, the broader scope of this huge organization. And then there's also like you know, the genuinely good people that just kind of mind their own business, do the best that they can for the people around them and the organization. I think so, right. You definitely mm-hmm. had these small little, you know, cliques or factions, yeah. right, just like anywhere. Um, that definitely would not be reflective of the whole organization by any means, right? There were some really, really incredible people. And so for every story that I have that's like, oh, man, this was weird, awkward, mm-hmm. or not right, there's an equally, you know, good or better one um, from just some folks that took a minute to, you know, invest in my life and my career and uh, just really offered some great opportunities or feedback and set up, you know, more than balanced out. That's good. You always need a balance, yin and yang, right? <laughs> okay, so on to the step after uh, L3 Harris because that's, I mean, that is an interesting pivot for me. So, you know, obviously, I'm not engineering or anything like that. I'm, I'm a business major, but I'm just thinking, like, what made you want to leave? Were you like, 
this just isn't for me. The day-to-day is too monotonous and boring. I hate the business line I'm working in. Or what was your kind of uh, thought process that took you to the decision of, of leaving? Yeah, and that one's that one's definitely complex because it wasn't just like I woke up one day and I was like, ah, this isn't for me. It wasn't like that at all. Um, I actually have to you know back it up just one second to give you a little more context, kind of show what led to that decision. Um, I had I had gotten into a role partially you know thanks to a really awesome mentor of mine. Um, she was just a really incredible, and uh, you know she was also one of the ones that gave me the harshest feedback of my life, <laughs> which was also great, right? Because it kind of forced me to grow. But in that growing into this role that opened up, um, there was actually like several levels above where someone quote unquote my age would typically be given mm-hmm. a role, which was an interesting. Uh, which was an interesting thing in, within the organization being kind of, uh, de- you know, capped by age as opposed to experience and capability. Yeah. Um, but in this case, sort of managed to break through that in a way. Um, and so had this role where I was doing technology management, um, which to sum that up, right, I had all these research and development projects that were reporting in, in my portfolio. I had a whole portfolio of... Um, the patent and IP committee. So we met regularly to review all these patents from all these really brilliant people in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had all the innovation projects and the seedling projects. So we had kind of designed it to be a little bit matching the external like seed, friends and family seed fund, series A, series B kind of approach in startups. And, uh, you know, really trying to accelerate some of that internal innovation. And so you can't get a whole lot better than that for me, right? Like that's just super exciting stuff. Uh, like technology that, you know, kind of blows your mind, like it takes a minute or two to even understand the first time you hear it because the guy's working on it. I mean, they're they're just so smart. It's hard to comprehend. And the things that they sit around and think about, you know, and the ways that they can use some of the existing technologies and push the boundaries is super cool. And, uh, you know, all the teams working on that stuff, right, they were trying to move fast. And so it was, it was kind of like startup environment, uh, working on really challenging problems. I loved that. Um, the challenge around it was one, I kind of had this epiphany that I was like, okay, this is probably the best role I could carve out for myself here. And yet I think I need, there's more I need to do, right? Like I think I'm called to do a bit more than this. And also at the same time, you know, it was, it was challenging because in, in that time in the company, uh, there was definitely a, a move to try to fill multiple roles with one person. Mm. And so we had gone, like we had, what had happened is we had said several people on that team, it was around five people. And then suddenly that was down to one and a half, me being one and the other, you know, half a person, half time. And uh, and it was like, they were kind of attempting to find and backfill some folks. It took about a year. And so during that mm. time, like I got, I got pretty burnt out. You know, I was yeah. I can only I imagine Jeez. working eighty-hour weeks a lot, and uh, you know, having young kids at the time and everything. It was just it wasn't really healthy for my family situation. So I wouldn't say that that like made me leave, but it definitely was like it definitely like just shortened the amount of time I could continue executing in that capacity at that level because somebody had to you know keep that was a critical role, so somebody had to keep going. Um, so I got to, uh, I got to go through all that, learn a ton of stuff, work with some really, really brilliant people. But then I decided that, uh, the next move was actually to get into small business. Um, so I'd worked in bigger corporate world and, you know, I was ready to kind of change things up a bit there and really start exploring the impact I could have, uh, for smaller companies. 
And so that's when I decided to go ahead and leave Harris and join um, a smaller technology company that was sort of trying to do a turnaround at the time. So what was that smaller technology company? The name of the company was Blyley Technologies. Blyley Technologies. Yeah, they're, uh, they're a really old company, actually. I think they've been around since before World War II, and they're one of the only U.S. manufacturers of um, like critical uh, like frequency control devices. So you know everything with a everything with a wireless signal in it, like your phone, your watch, everything has a little frequency control device that helps you know generate that signal for the wireless uh, communication. Mm-hmm. And so, base the company created those devices for all kinds of applications, from everything to from like phones all the way up to spacecraft. And um, since they were U.S. based, uh, it was uh, some of them were kind of critical parts for U.S. government uh, mm-hmm. missions, space missions, things like that. So, you know, some of the tech was on some of the more recent missions. Like I think the one um, I can't remember the maybe it was Cassini, one of the one of the bigger names around either the Sun or uh, Saturn missions. That's crazy. So within this turnaround, where was the company at when you were there? So were they like financially suffering, kind of running things into the ground? And they were like, holy shit, we need, we need, you know, somebody that knows how to get us back on track to kind of dig us out of this hole. They, they were. And it was an interesting situation because the life of the company, um, they had gone through, you know, they had been originally a family company and then they'd been purchased by somebody else. And I think it kind of moved around a bit. The company was definitely on a pretty quick decline. Um, some folks that I knew had jumped in to start turning it around and wanted to get me on board. Um, and so our goal was basically to take a lot of that you know, future technology focus and the technology management, bring it in and sort of turn the company around, start offering new uh, higher level products similar to the stuff that we would have worked with in the past. And so we, we jumped in, started doing that. We thought we had kind of a three-year commitment from the current owners at the time. Um, but about a year in, they kind of had some, you know, internal issues with the, the ownership that they wanted mm-hmm. to make some changes. That they weren't really on the three-year plan. Um, and so they started laying people off again because the company was, you know, not hitting necessarily the goals that they wanted, even though it was working on the three-year plan. Um, and so after a series of layoffs, I eventually got laid off as well from that company. And so that was where I kind of reset and said, okay, you know, what's the next direction here? So what was that next direction? Um, it took a, a little bit to kind of figure that out. I, um, I ended up joining at that time. I had been uh, in the Groundswell community for a while more as a mentor. Um, and then I bumped into one of the companies there that um, was trying to do a startup at the time. I worked with them for a little bit. Uh, that did not work out. And so I, you know, again, I was like, okay. And this is some good experience, but you know, definitely not great for uh, the career or anything else. Um, I decided at that point to just kind of pause and reflect. And during that pause, um, that's when a couple of folks found me and started asking, like, "Hey, can you help me with this or this thing?" Because I was very, you know, technical in nature, but also had that mm-hmm. business marketing, yeah. um, business development focus, like rooted all the way back into the experience at L3 Harris. And so tying some of that together. And so I helped a couple of folks, you know, integrate some of their technologies in the small business world, um, you know, make automated workflows and things like that. And that was kind of what started the the origins of Camber Lion. So I was doing that on the side. 
Um, but I decided I needed to take a take a full time job to really to really get back to where I needed to financially to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And when I did, they were like, "Can you just continue supporting us like on the nights and weekends?" And I was like, "You know what? <laughs> I kind of know that route, so sure, why not?" Um, and so that's what I did. I continued uh, just a couple of you know month to month things, working with folks uh, kind of nights and weekends, and you know just told them like, "Hey." You guys are outside of the nine to five, right? This can't conflict, and they were totally good with that. Um, and then uh, from there, it just kind of continued. You know, they started to happen by referral. Um, folks were like, "Oh yeah, I've got a friend with the same challenge. Can you help here? Can you help there?" Um, and so it grew a little bit organically that way, without me even trying. And then, um, and then that led me all the way up to mid pandemic. Is when I went and decided to do that full time. <laughs> kind of really? funny timing. Okay, yeah. so pretty recently. Yeah, it was uh, coming up on a year ago, so that would have been July of uh, last year. So, I mean, that's awesome. So it seems like you haven't looked back, and you have a good client portfolio and and people that really like you. I mean, everybody at Groundswell is just like, holy shit, keeps <laughs> he's a man. <laughs> if you need anything, doesn't matter, he'll help you out in some way. Uh, so kind of making that transition from, from corporate to small business, what, what would you say is your favorite part? So I love to have an impact, right? A, a mm-hmm. measurable impact and like really be able to see that. Um, I think with small business, you get a lot closer to impacting lives as mm-hmm. opposed to the bottom line. Um, yeah. so like I realized that some of the really cool stuff I worked on during all times, all three Harris, you know, is out there protecting our troops, protecting our officers, you know, making it possible for people to communicate back home when they're deployed, which, you know, is special to me because I had, um, you know, brother-in-law and everything deployed um, and others that I know. And them being able to communicate back, I was like, I know the technology links that, you know, allow that to happen, right? So that's special in a way. But at the same time, um, in the small business world, it's entirely different, right? Because you're really, you're usually working with a very small team and it's make or break almost all the time, right? And so any little bit that you can help them uh, improve and change makes goes a long way, right? So mm-hmm. you help a company grow a little bit and they're probably providing another job or two in the community. Um, consistently, when I see I help them grow and increase revenue and profitability, they're usually giving back, right? Because they realize mm-hmm. that like this is their community, this is you know the, the folks that they want to impact and so they're always giving back to uh, nonprofits and folks that are, you know, behind really awesome causes in the community. And so I think there's a lot more visibility into that in the small business world. And I do really enjoy that. Yeah. And that's fantastic. And that's also something that I've noticed just in my short time at Groundswell and just seeing all the things and projects that people were working on, like from really the ideation to conceptualization to the actual built out product uh it's pretty interesting um and honestly one of the, one of the reasons i absolutely love it at groundswell and i mean just in this ma- last month alone with what you guys have done with c threads i don't know if you want to shout them out really quick yeah absolutely they're uh they've been doing really well uh they're pretty exciting right because that was kind of a, an idea stage and then um, see the whole thing develop through the community there. And that that's a really cool testament to the Groundswell community, right? Um, you know, just Shay and Jaron and all the time and effort they put in there, Matt and the incredible work he's done visually on that. 
And then just seeing that all come together right from the accelerator all the way to launching a Kickstarter and having it funded in the first two hours uh, was just awesome. And now they're continuing to, to work on building that funding and then just building their impact so that they can remove all the plastic from the ocean. So that's a, that's a really great example of fun experience. It really is, and it's a noble cause. And Dylan's a great guy. It's so funny. Uh, I was literally in his business plan research class where he pitched that idea. Nice. And it was funny because everybody, like, I mean, you know Dylan, and I love Dylan to death, but everybody in this class, it was mostly football players. That'll give you some reference. So it's not <laughs> like everybody here was just a wet blanket, but everybody was kind of, like, rolling their eyes. Because it was, like, Dylan's first presentation, so he definitely didn't have it you know, down lock. I mean, nobody does. No, and, for sure. you know, most of the people for these, for these presentations, they're just like winging it off the cuff. I know. I, I mean, not for this class, but maybe, maybe my freshman, <laughs> sophomore yeah, year, I won that class. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it was, it's just been fantastic to see him really grow and run at this hundred percent. And that's just a, a testament to the caliber of people that Florida Tech produces, I think, because uh, he was the only one that I saw really, really run at it and he kind of leaned on the community around Florida Tech and I'm guessing that's how he found Groundswell and all the wonderful people that let him really you know make this thing and chase it so it's it's pretty great absolutely so bouncing off that what does the future hold for Keep? yeah that's a question that I've been asking myself a lot lately too right so sometimes you get into these things and um you know it's really easy to uh kind of forget to take a minute to focus on where you're going, what you're doing. Because I, I spend a lot of time uh, lately, especially helping other businesses define just that. Mm-hmm. And so if you're always constantly thinking about how do I help this other business or this other entrepreneur chart their future, chart their course, set goals and priorities and you know all the things that come around growing a business, it's super easy to get too busy to think about your own. And so I'm trying not to, trying not to fall into that trap. Um, at this point, I'm really looking to continue to expand the the team, really, is the next step. Uh, we just got some incredible folks. mentioned Matt and the design work that he does. The branding is just on point every time. Um, and then there's some additional folks that are kind of scattered around. Sometimes they're in Groundswell, sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. And the thing we've noticed is that, like, you get these waves where everybody needs something at once. And so it's time to, like... It's time to continue to grow the team, but also try to like even out those waves just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's getting uh, things into a little bit of more consistent rhythm, um, and so that's going to be that's going to be an interesting challenge, right? Because it takes a very particular uh, person to be comfortable in that atmosphere. It's very it's very entrepreneurial, right? You kind of yeah. have to be a bit independent, and that's the goal. But it's also not everybody's wired that way. So even there's some really talented people, uh, it's kind of finding that fit. Um, but when we do, it's uh, it's real obvious and it, it works out really well. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've talked a lot about work. How do you balance your personal life, especially now in an entrepreneurial kind of environment? Because, you know, when you were at L3 Harris, they obviously kind of needed you for the 40-hour week. But then obviously it kind of grew into 80 sometimes, which is scary. Right. Um, so how do you kind of balance and like, just keep your, your mental health on point and keep everything and everybody happy in your own little circle? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because especially when you know, you're working in a startup or a small business, super easy to lose focus, right? It's super easy to just get consumed and be working all hours. 
especially because if you're passionate about it, you don't notice the time passing mm. like yeah. you do when you're punching a clock. Um, and so w- a couple of the, the, the things that I do to kind of help with that, right, is that I just remember how short the time is in certain instances, right? So um, one of the things that helps me is to be thinking about, you know, this will be here tomorrow, right? Like yeah. it's still going to be there. And, you know, what are like, what's the worst that could happen if this takes until midday tomorrow instead of tonight to work? Right. And so kind of self-pacing in terms of not letting everything become the most important thing. Um, and then just remembering like, hey, my kids are only this age once. Right. Like yeah, this is a once a in a thing. lifetime thing, um, which is challenging. right? Because you got to knock stuff out sometimes. You got to hit deadlines, mm-hmm. which is a reality. But always trying to find that uh, balance and kind of bring yourself back to, you know, you know, I don't need to do everything. I don't need to grow, you know, too fast. I just need to find that where it's really working right and sort of redefining what success looks like in a sense right because everybody wants to be like oh yeah you know it's the the vp guy with the cool car and the huge house and the whatever that guy's successful maybe you know does you know depends on your definition that's right (laughs) (laughs) depends on your definition and um you know for me right having real relationships with my family with my friends my kids like that's a lot more successful than just having ton of money or you know a great title or whatever it be absolutely and I and I agree with that especially you know through the lens of my own couple experiences because I've been exposed to a couple people that have been you know high power big earners and they are not happy yeah. and so you really got to take a introspective look and, and figure out what you want and like like you said what that definition is so yeah. uh, based on that definition and kind of you know what we were talking about earlier is your family happier now that you're kind of in that entrepreneurial space where you have more time for them and stuff like that? They absolutely are. You know, I'm blessed that they actually like seeing me around the house a lot, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, no, but that's actually, uh, you know, that's actually been a big thing and just being able to make that transition. We're, we're really grateful for that. For me, um, a lot of the decision and, you know, really just the ability to make that leap from like a really good paying job, you know, let's be honest, mm-hmm. right, is into, you know, startup world where you're like, all right, we eating ramen soup again here, what's going <laughs> yeah. on? Um, a lot of that really just does boil down to uh, my faith, my family's faith, and just, you know, kind of knowing that we have a purpose and we're called to some of this and that it's a lot more about the impact and what our calling is than, you know, the bottom line, if you will. And so we've been pursuing that and just have had um, some great growth as a family and just some also some opportunities to connect and serve in our community. Um, it's been it's been a pretty special time. So we're super thankful for that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you, man, you've been all over the map and yeah. starting to settle down a little bit. That's good. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of variety, too. So it keeps it very interesting. I get to learn a lot about a lot of their businesses as we go and everybody else's passion for their business and what they're doing. And that's always, that's always exciting to see as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but one thing that I, I don't, I don't know, I don't consider myself a very stressed out person just cause I have that, you know, mentality where like, okay, the roof is collapsing. I'm not going to freak out. I'm just like, okay, what do I got to grab? Yeah. <laughs> like, so how do you manage stress? Cause obviously you mentioned deadlines, things kind of get intense. Uh, how do you kind of manage that and make sure that you know you're not gonna burn out like you did working 80 hour weeks great question right because I'm definitely one where I'm pretty analytical right so I'll definitely say like 
I start to feel the stress. I know it's there, right? And I'm trying not to be overstressed, especially when you got to be there for other people. Um, and so for, you know, for me personally, uh, just kind of being able to recognize when that stress is starting to impact everything I'm doing, mm-hmm. uh, is really important. But, um, you know, I find a couple of things that, um, I find a couple of things that really help for me, right. Is actually taking a minute to take a break, spend time with the kids, spend time with the family, um, you know, and do something that is not that, you know, whatever it is. Cause when I step away and then I come back, I'm clearer, I execute faster, I execute better, um, I like to pray through things. I like to, you know, just get a clearer head and really, you know, see, hey, how does this tie into the bigger picture? You know, if it's something that's causing a problem, I start, you know, asking, like, am I, am I focusing on the right things here? Am I got my priorities aligned? What's going on? And so that's a big part of it for me. Um, and then, you know, we're tied in pretty heavily with uh, the community at our church and even serving there. And um, that's really actually been awesome just because the, the interaction you get and just kind of building each other up, people that are really, you know, positive, really, um, you know, looking out for your well-being as well. It makes a big difference. So having that community around you, people that genuinely care. Yeah, I mean, naturally, I, I came up in a, a very kind of tight-knit religious community. Uh, I've confirmed Catholic uh, at the beginning of high school. Uh and you want to, do we have time to dive into that like a little yeah. bit? Or, okay, yeah, let's okay. do that. So I've had my experience with religion, and uh, some things have kind of steered me away from the more traditional view of religion, especially seeing all of the different things the Catholic Church has done. And so when you can't trust the institution, it's harder for me to trust whatever the institution says. But you mentioned something, praying through things. Even though I don't necessarily associate myself with the church anymore, I still find that very valuable. It opens up an internal dialogue that allows you to kind of work through uh, complex emotions, feelings, uh, problems, and stuff like that. So I find that very interesting, and I think people can really benefit from just doing what you said, just praying through things. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a prayer, like hands folded, oh God, help me. Uh, just kind of kick things around in your own head and, and take a look. So what has your experience been with that? Have you have you always been pretty religious? Was it a family thing from the beginning? Was it kind of, you know, an, an awakening, an epiphany? Or, uh, yeah, just take great, me through that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, Sorry, that, great, was, that was a little bit. Great questions. And I think you hit on something super important, right? Because a lot of us have had experiences with, quote-unquote, organized religion, right? The institution, um, and so that's one I'll pick on for a second, right? Because I, I know exactly what you mean, right? And there have been institutions in the past that kind of break your trust and things that they do. And you realize like, man, these people are still messed up, right? And so we have this kind of Americanized view of uh, if you're the church, you need to be perfect, right? Yeah. Which is part of the challenge. The other challenge is the just whole religion aspect of it, right? If you, if you really dive into it and go back, right, even... Um, you know, depending on where your faith lies. But if you study the life of Jesus and his teachings and everything, you realize that he wasn't after organized religion. He was after a relationship, right? And even in mm-hmm. that, his day, there were just the organized religion. He was constantly just, you know, hammering on the way that they were doing things and they were prioritizing their religion over the relationship, over the people, over his plan. And so um, I think bringing that into light, it makes it a lot more relevant you know, people like to say like, oh, that's old stories, this book. You look at the relationship aspects and you understand really that 
this is a person that you want to have a relationship with as opposed to, you know, just a thing you do, right? Mm-hmm. It makes praying a lot more meaningful too, right? Because then you're actually talking to a someone, not just like, oh, you know, yeah, it's hope a you hear me out there, not right? Not just like sending out a letter into the void. Exactly, exactly. And so then you start to see, you know, you start to see things happen in your life that you're like, whoa, I was, I was praying about that and, you know, I have an answer now. Um, and so it's not just, you know, sending it out there and hoping for the best. It's really about, you know, kind of figuring out what your priorities are based on, you know, the real plan for your life and not just your plan, right? Yeah, so do you think that that, that and, you know, maintaining that relationship, as we were talking about, uh, keeps you more level-headed, more thankful, and in the end, happier with your life? Absolutely. Um, you know, there are, just, there are just so many times where I can see, like, it's real easy for me to get off track, right? It would be super easy for me to be just, like, super prideful and, you know, like, oh, yeah, I did all this on my own. I'm bolting myself up by my bootstraps. I'm awesome. Um, but in the reality, I look back and I'm like, come on, you know, like, look at, look at some of these things that you've had the opportunities to do and look at these times that, you know, you've failed and it hasn't been the ruin of you or something, right? Mm-hmm. And just seeing, you know, forgiveness in other people and just opportunities open up that, um, wouldn't be able to, and then, you know, just working through those things and continuing to grow. So that's absolutely, um, had a huge impact. Um, I found that, when I know I'm in line for God's will for my life, that I am happier, I am have a lot more peace, um, and I can you know see the impact and the reasons why many times as well. And even if I don't see them immediately, I know that there's a there's a purpose behind everything, and it helps me deal with some of that stuff that is like what just happened, right? Like getting laid off, yeah. Like that is brutal for anybody, even if like, even if there's all these good reasons, right? You know, it's like, mm. oh, you know, we really love working with you, blah, blah, blah. You're still like, yeah, yeah and I can't pay me? the bills yeah, next yeah. month. Why me? Like, why didn't I see this coming? Um, I think everybody has that experience. Uh, but just having that faith and knowing like, I'm not going to starve. Like, I'm going to be taken care of. God's got a plan in all of this. Um, it really does help. And then you see it come together. And it really just continues to build that faith. Yeah. Um, you hit it right on the nose with that one. And I feel like even if you're not going to dive in wholly uh, to, I guess, the religious process, I almost called it a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. Um, uh, if it's not anything else, it's a coping mechanism that helps people, you know, navigate their way through this. Because, I mean... I've heard it so many times. We're just, you know, really smart monkeys on a space rock. Uh, and there's some crazy stuff that goes on that we can't explain. And I think that's, it's very helpful. And it's a beautiful thing if it's done right. But so many people have manipulated and abused it in the past. I mean, just look at, I don't want to name any examples. We could go on forever. I'm going to start sounding like a crazy person. But... Uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, I know you got another appointment here soon. Yeah, I got a couple more minutes so we can chat. And yeah, to your point, um, you know there are there are all, are all kinds of crazy different things, right? And there, it's, it can be challenging. People don't know what to make of it, especially when you know religions push in one thing and the truth is another. But uh, it's definitely over a conversation. I'm always you know happy to have, and I think you know tying this all the way back to you know just having that open ear right? Um, sometimes just realizing that, uh, that there's a lot going on in people's lives, 
right? And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter, you know, where you are. There's always going to be those challenges. And so, you know, having seen the difference it makes, not, not the difference that religion makes, right, but the difference that the relationship has made for me, that's a conversation I'm always happy to have with somebody just to, you know, help them understand further, like, what it was in my life and really the difference between just, you know, yeah, I show up at church on Sunday and Christmas and Easter, right? And actually having that relationship, if, you know, if, if that's something that somebody realizes they're missing in their life, it's a conversation worth having. Yeah. So when, when did that happen for you? Cause I mean, I know as, as a kid, you know, when your parents are dragging off to, to mass on Sunday, I mean, my parents literally had to bargain with us. We were like yeah. terrorists. Yeah. We were going <laughs> to just blow up in church and they didn't give us some little bit of incentive. So their bargaining chip was friggin' Waffle House. It was right? the best. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I and it took a little while, and we made so much fuss, and eventually my parents were like, you know what, we have our relationship with God. We don't need to, like, you know, put all this energy to take you guys to somewhere that you're just going to complain about. So there was kind of a lull period, and I would say middle school, where there wasn't a lot of that influence from the church or anywhere else because we didn't really talk about it in our house. It wasn't like, okay, we're about to go to bed. Everybody come on, time for prayers. Uh, So it was really me coming back around to religion and looking to fill that hole and build that relationship. So what time in your life do you think that that came around for you? Because I remember I, I asked that question earlier. I'm not sure if we got to it, but of... Was your family really religious? Have you always been a part of the church? Stuff like that. So when did it really, you know, change for you from being this monotonous, okay, got to go to church, got to say my prayers, to this is a real relationship that I want to build and it's it's fruitful? Yeah, great question. Because I think my first impression of it was the very, like, religious rules, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, even though I would say I was saved from a young age, it was still, and I know there was a difference, I was still very much like, I think, you know, we got to do all these things. we got to follow all this script. Um, so it was still very religion-based. And even though I knew there was something of value there, I didn't understand all of it at that age, right? It was mm-hmm. still kind of following it. So my family was very involved uh, with the church. Um, but at the same time, we'd had our own fair share of, like, you know, not great experiences and just differences and how people were trying to live that out. Um, and then a little bit later on, like probably post-college, actually, is where started to really get a lot more connected and realize like, oh, this is beyond just the whole like religion thing, right? Like, and not because my family wasn't pursuing that, but because like the opportunities in the churches that we had to be involved in and um, just the, the, the teaching and um, really understanding even from my part and kind of digging into it for, on my own um, and not just taking whatever the culture was saying about it and not just taking, you know, whatever religion was saying about it, but actually digging into it and understanding was really where it all started to come together. And then, you know, um, as you go through life and you start to, like, have these bigger and bigger experiences, if you will, right, getting married, having kids, and all the new challenges that comes along, um, it just becomes more and more alive because you start to see how it impacts every day and all your interactions with other people and especially your kids and your family, and those are so crucial, right? So that it just, it I think it becomes a little, like, more impactful, more real, more special every day. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And one thing I do want to ask before you go, cause this is something that, uh, that I worry about a lot cause I eventually, you know, plan to have kids. How 
did you learn to build your patience? Because I feel like that's the number one thing that you just got to kind of be like a duck, let, you know, stuff roll off your feathers. Yeah. And if I can encourage you, I'm still learning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But, you know, thank God I've got I've got great kids. They're 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 patient and forgiving as well. Right. Because that's I think that's part of it. Right. Is realizing like I can't hold myself to a perfection standard because it's not going to happen. But when I do mess up, right, I've got, I've got a pattern for, you know, how to resolve that, right, and um, kind of practicing that forgiveness for others and for myself um, is super important, right, because I know I've been forgiven at the highest level, and mm-hmm. so then just being able to say, like, you know, that should allow me to forgive myself, that should allow me to forgive others and ask for others for forgiveness um, makes a huge difference, and then just continuing to grow and grow um, with your mistakes, right, like, I think, uh, I think that mechanism where we don't remember certain things before a certain age, it's actually good, right? Because like all the mess ups you make as a parent, you're like, oh man, I hope my kid doesn't like judge me for this forever, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just because you're like, ah. Oh. Um, and the reality is, uh, you know, I don't think they do, right? You continue to work on that and build that. And it really is, um, you know, I, I think they'll ideally grow up and realize like, okay, they are human. Like there were some things that they didn't do right, but... Um, you know, they kept trying, they kept doing their best. And so that's what I'm praying for. And, you know, just constantly trying to, to pour uh, time and love into my kids' lives. And, man, praying for everything where I fall short. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you on that one. But I, I know I know exactly what you're saying, where you can strive for perfection all you want, but you're just not going to get there. Cause, yeah. And it's funny, that just, like, dug up an old memory. So the, <laughs> we were actually at church one Sunday, and for some reason, my mom and dad drove separately with my brother and I. Um, and I guess somehow things got twisted, and they each thought that both of us were with each other. So we just got left at this church, and me and my brother were like, yeah, we're tough, we're going to walk home. We get to the main <laughs> road. One car passes and we run back to the church. <laughs> We're like, nope, not happening. So they're definitely not perfect. Just and definitely got Waffle House after that one. Nice. They're like, we're so sorry. <laughs> should have like milked that for some ice cream as well, you know? <laughs> Go all in. <laughs> oh yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, man. I know you got a time crunch. We're kind of running over a little bit. What's on your mind? No, oh, well, I just you know, thanks for uh, thanks for taking a minute to chat. Uh, oh, of course. And I'd love here. to have you back because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I feel like we didn't get to and and more topical stuff because, I mean, whenever you have a different perspective that you can, you know, draw from, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And especially with your experience and your analytical mind, uh, just attacking some recent topics too uh, is always cool. One thing that I just can't stop thinking about is you saw that hotel – or it was a condo, I think, that fell in, in yeah. Florida and South Florida. Man. Uh, terrible. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, we, we could probably talk all day and, uh, you know, maybe next time you get to some of those stories that I saw you kind of suppress during the conversation, that'd be pretty fun. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, oh, my God. Too many stories. But we'll get to them next time, and hopefully I can, I can draw some out of you, too. But, yeah. Well, once again, Keith, I mean, thanks for coming on, man. This was a great time, and... If you guys have any questions for Keith, hit up the old email, laymanstherms21 at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, nothing nothing too obscene, people. I will read it, but I will be upset about it. Okay. All right, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>